Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. You're about to hear a spoiler-filled discussion about the themes, the characters, and the big ideas in the movie. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, what's up? What's up? I'm going to ask you a question real fast. It's an important one. Do it. I love okay. it. Um, do you ever look at me while we're recording a podcast and think, what is going on inside his head? Yes, yes, <laughs> I do. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with your takes, I'm like, what? Is, what emotion is making Andrew give that crazy take of like, arrivals overrated, the Truman Show is garbage? Like, what emotion is at the steering wheel of your brain that makes you say that sort of stuff? <laughs> who Who knows? Uh, but uh, maybe we'll get to crack the code on that today because uh, we get to talk about uh, an amazing movie. I'm so surprised it took us this long to get to this movie or to get to any Pixar movie at all. But what are we what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about Inside Out. I believe it's only our second animated movie we've ever done. Right. Um, which is kind of crazy. And we're both huge Pixar fans. I think. Is it's that true. right? You're a big Pixar guy. I, I am a big Pixar fan. Um, I mean, there's a conversation to be had about the Pixar fall off in like the last five years, which is like a little sad. Um, when did Pixar but- fall off? What was the last great Pixar movie to you? Oh, the la- I mean, I think there's been some great ones here and there, but they had like a perfect record, I think, through Inside Out. Yeah. Um, like there are no bad Pixar movies. I mean, with the maybe exception of Cars 2 um, prior to in, in Inside Out. And then it then it starts to get a little a little hit or, hit, hit or miss. I feel like um, when uh, John Laster leaves the studio for good reason. Uh, but the exit of John Lasseter seems like there is more up, more ups and downs. I thought that too, watching the credit last night, I saw John Lasseter's name and I was so mad at him. I was like, you were such a genius. Yeah. Why do you have to be such an idiot? Um, why did you have to leave? And yeah, their run is, it was just like, if you, that lamp jumped up on screen, I was like, we're in for a great time. Like I just yeah. knew I was like, they're going to do something amazing. I think it's the best run any studios ever had. You know, we think about A24, we think about some other studios that have great work where it's like, okay, I see that logo and I trust it. Right. That's so rare. But Pixar is the number one for me, I think. At least yeah, it was I mean, for a season. It, it was for like 15 years. Like it, it was yeah. it was one of those things where every time a new Pixar trailer would come out, I would watch it. Not every time, but a lot of the time I'd watch a trailer and I would go, oh, no, this this looks bad. And then I'd watch the movie and I'd go, oh, my God, that movie's great. <laughs> like, I remember seeing the trailer for Up and thinking, like, I have absolutely no desire to see this movie. And then, you know, Up Up's one of the greatest Pixar movies of all time. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, you're like, I don't know, it's Old Man Balloon's house. Like, how interesting yeah. can that be? Well, OK, so this takes me to my first big opening question, which is okay. this. Yeah. Will an animated movie ever win Best Picture? Or maybe in our lifetime, is it ever going to happen? Man, I hope so. And I really hope it's a Pixar movie. Um, though other, other studios are starting to make some really good animated things. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, here, here, here's the thing. And you just, you just looked up this stat right before we got on the podcast. How many animated films have even been nominated for Best Picture? Yeah, I should have sprung that question on you. But listeners, I'll ask you. How many animated movies have been nominated? Pick a number in your head, in your little brain right now. Pick that animated number. And the number is three. 
three films have ever been nominated for Best Picture in the history of the Academy Awards. Which is crazy. So what, what are they? So the okay. first one, most, most p- people who know anything about film history know. So the first one is Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yep. Yep. And that was so, a big deal. It comes it out and it's like, huge oh. deal. Yeah, can Beauty and the Beast be animated? And so it was like, maybe animated movies are real. Uh, maybe oh, yeah. they should be nominated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I was a very young person, but I remember the, like, Beauty and the Beast just being hailed as like the best animated movie of all time and the only one that had ever been nominated for a best picture. Like I was, what was I, five when that happened? Um, but e- even I remember that that, that, that that was like important um, when, when that went down. Um, and it, it was the only animated movie nominated all the way up until, I want to say 2009? Yep. Or 2010. I think it was 2010 and that's yep. when Up came out. And so, so up was the net. So you have a 20 year gap, essentially, from, right. you know, Beauty and the Beast to up. And so up is number two. And then what is number three? One of my favorite Pixar, if not my favorite Pixar movie of all time. Yeah, the movie that we almost talked about today, and that is Toy Story 3. <laughs> and so which we which, promise which, listeners we will talk about at some point. It's been on our list of movies to do since the inception of this podcast. Since we started making a list of movies to talk about before we even launched the podcast, Toy Story 3 has been on the list. And the reason I wanted to like start out with this question is because one of my favorite podcasts is called The Big Picture. It's Sean Fennessy and kind of friends. They discuss movies and Sean Fennessy is a huge fan of animated films. He's like one of the biggest movie geeks that I've ever listened to. And he's like, they're serious. They're great films. And all of his co-hosts kind of write them off. They're like, ah, Rango is not a great film. You know, there's like this kind of legendary episode where they make fun of Rango. And he's like, no, that's actually a real masterpiece. And I think it is. But the, the co-hosts who are also kind of film heads, film geeks, are like animated movies or kids movies. They're not great films. They're not great art. Yeah. Is that true or not true? So I think <laughs> to, to completely cheat on this answer, I think the answer is both. I think, unfortunately, culturally, I think... Disney has done wonderful things for animated movies and also completely put them in a box, which is because Disney is so successful at animated films. Disney animation is so ubiquitously successful. When you think animated movie, you think Disney and Disney has been successful by making children's movies. And so the marrying of animation with children's content has basically created a genre of animation being children's movies in the cultural mind. And so I think the answer is yes. I think that is largely what they are because if someone wants to make an animated movie, they expect the audience is going to be children. And if you make an animated movie that's not for children, you have to be really, really specific that it's not for children. But I think some of these Pixar movies are like, I think that's what we're going to get into here. Some of the best Pixar movies, I would say, are not maybe even fully accessible to children because they um, are so um, deep about sort of humanity and emotions and experiences that you don't touch on until your adult years. Um, And so listen, listen, Inside Out is, I think, the deepest of the Pixar films. It has so like I'm like, there's no way my kids understand like train of thought and the you know subconscious and all these different ideas that are in it i'm like there's no way that they understand all the different levels of the stuff that's happening in it 
like I barely do. And so I'm like, this is so cool that there's a movie that on one level is like, hey, there's bright colors and there's an elephant. And on another level, it's like we're getting really deep into like philosophy and psychology in this movie. And that's that's incredible to me. It's one thing for Martin Scorsese to make a cool epic gangster pick that's just kind of aimed at grownups. But it's one, another thing of like, I'm going to make two movies at the same time. One that's just <laughs> really fun for kids and one that's a deep philosophical thing for adults. And you both get to enjoy it on your own plane. That feels more difficult. Like that feels like it should be honored. Yeah. And so I think Pixar has been doing that kind of thing in a lesser way from the inception of their company. Like the Toy Story has a ton of really good grown up jokes that aren't like inappropriate. Not that kind of grown up jokes, but jokes that will go over a kid's head. The kid won't understand. They're sophisticated. It. Yeah. They're sophisticated jokes, but the story works completely perfectly for children and the children don't realize that they're missing these little inside jokes like uh, Mr. Potato Head calling himself Picasso, right? Because he rearranges his face or like things like that that are, are going to go over, a, you know, a seven year old's head. Um, but I think it's specifically I would say Pete Doctor really, but also some of the Andrew Stanton movies that um, start to thematically really touch on to not just jokes that children won't understand, but thematic arcs and emotional like character catharsis, right? Like character journeys that kids not won't be able to understand, but won't be able to fully relate to because they haven't been there. They haven't done that in life yet. Um, yet they still yet the journey, the plot works for children, if that makes sense. Right. The, the mm -hmm. plot of Inside Out totally works for a kid. Right. The adventure of having to get out of basically like the subconscious and to get out of memory land and to get back to headquarters in order to um, save save Riley from, uh, you know, feeling lost. Right. I think kids get that. But the depth of what this movie is talking about from like a therapy level is insane and just so meaningful. Like, this is the meaning of the movie movie. <laughs> right. I think that's why we picked this movie for two reasons. One, it's so meaningful and there's so many things to talk about. And two, Inside Out 2 just got announced. And so I'm pretty interested to see them go back to that well and see what they can do. I think their track record with sequels has been pretty great. And so they've had some misses, but I'd say more hits than misses. So I'm interested to see what they do with this. Um, yep. One more thing on the best picture. So here's mm. in the year 2016. Here's the movies that were nominated for best picture. Inside Out was not one of them. OK, so Spotlight is the winner. And then okay. you have the, the Big Short, which I love that movie. Great movie. Bridge of Spies. Spielberg. I've never seen it, actually. Bridge of Spies. It's it's a perfectly forgettable Spielberg movie. Like it's good. He's doing great stuff. It's Tom Hanks Spielberg. It's his first collaboration with Mark Rylance. Um, then they become sort of became a thing for a while. Um, it's gr it's great. But like when you name off S S Spielberg movies, no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, Bridge of Spies. It's kind of yeah, like a not, movie that didn't happen. It's not in your top 10 or even 15 Spielberg movies, I'm sure. Like, right. It's, then we have it's, Brooklyn. It's good. OK, Brooklyn. I've never seen it. I don't even know what it is, to be honest. I don't remember. It's it. uh, it's a Saoirse Ronan um, kind of coming of age historical romance where she moves to New York from Ireland and is in love with an Italian boy but is being pulled back home by a potential love interest played by Donald Gleason back in Ireland. And it's like an immigrant coming of age story. It's Should it have sweet. won Best Picture? No. <laughs> okay. 
Um, Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, uh, nothing should have won Best Picture over Spotlights. So. I, I, I agree. <laughs> so we have Mad Max Fury Road. That movie's a okay. banger, man. I love that film. It's so fun. It's so insane. That, that came out in 2016? That long ago? Yeah, listen, this, this is a great list of movies. Uh, then we have The Martian, uh, another okay. movie that I actually really like. Uh, uh -huh. The Revenant, uh, that's what Leo won his Best uh, Actor Oscar for. And Room. Mm -hmm. Uh, which, dude, that movie's incredible, and that would be another great episode. Um, anyway, this is a great list. That's 2016. I, what, I feel like all those movies came out like two years ago. I feel so I know, old getting, suddenly. That was time that was flying se by seven dude. seven years ago because they all came out yes. in 2015. So eight years ago, Ru yes, Brie Larson won an Oscar eight years ago. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, the slow tick of time keeps rolling on. Now we have Dude. sadness. Andrew has entered the podcast. I know. I know. <laughs> Which emotions? This? OK, so my point in all of this is that there I think that's only nine. They have a 10th slot. So they uh -huh. did not even nominate Inside Out for one of those top 10 slots. And I would argue it's definitely in the top two or three of the best movies of that year at least maybe in the top five like it's better than the martian it's better than bridge right. of spies i haven't seen yes. brooklyn but it's better than brooklyn you know like <laughs> um <laughs> i can just confidently say that and so i'm just like how did this movie not get more loved and nominated and talked about yeah i was actually really surprised when you told me that it wasn't because here's the thing about uh best pictures being nominated for an oscar or for, sorry, animated films being nominated for Best Picture. Um, prior to 2009, super film nerd can correct me if my year is wrong on this one, um, but five films were nominated for Best Picture in every category. Correct. Um, and then starting in 2009, they upped that number to 10. Um, and so they doubled the amount of films that could be, that could be nominated. And that was the year that Up was nominated, correct? Um, and then uh, Toy Story 3 was nominated not long after that and in my mind the film that won best animated picture most years was also nominated for best picture I just thought that's what had been happening for like a decade but apparently not <laughs> um, so I thought there had been actually a bunch of, of animated films nominated for best picture at this at this point since we went to the 10 film um, sort of uh, or the, the possibility of 10 films it can be between five and ten and some years it's not yeah sometimes there's eight sometimes there's nine sometimes there's ten but it's normally in that category but no it was like up toy story three both masterpieces and then it's been a shutout for 13 years um which is wild I don't, I don't anticipate it to happen again well let's get into talking about the movie and so we're talking about inside out today and there are five emotions that they listed uh can you name all five emotions off the top of your head yeah, it's uh, joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. Was there a motion that they should have included that they didn't include? Okay, so this is so embarrassing. This was my um, question that I, like, texted you, and I was like, we need to add this um, to, <laughs> to the, the roster. And you were like, yeah, let's do it. I honestly don't have another one to, to go in here. So th these are – these um, five emotions are – Oh, this is embarrassing because I'm going to forget the name of the psychologist. But they're based on a somewhat famous psychologist's 
um, uh, work where he says that there's basically seven emotions that run everything. And his two additionals that he had that were initially in a previous version of the script are contempt and surprise. So joy, sadness, anger, fear, disgust, contempt and surprise and contempt and surprise were cut uh, from um, the movie because um, they didn't uh, serve a, uh, a good character or plot purpose and they were able to distill everything down to the five. But when I'm thinking about it, and I'm not a famous psychologist, so I don't get to make this kind of call, but I feel like surprise to me is a mix of joy and fear. It's when you're startled by something and sometimes like delighted by it. Right. <laughs> right. Like a surprise is a mix of fear and joy in my mind. And uh, contempt, uh, I guess contempt would be like a sort of like anger and disgust combined. That might be one that I would add to this, this idea of disliking someone or like having like that is a slightly different feeling than just anger. It's weird to me because like joy, that's an emotion. Yeah. Sadness, that's an emotion. Anger, that's an emotion. Fear, definitely an emotion. And then disgust is like, is that an emotion? Like, that's the one that I'm always like, <laughs> hmm, that feels like cheating a little bit to me. Um, it doesn't feel like an emotion. It feels like it unlocks a whole different category. So mm. based on disgust, I actually did. I don't know what to call this emotion, but I wrote down dopamine as <laughs> a like um, sixth emotion, which is just like. Anything that's just like, ooh, I like that. I want more of that. You know, like the kind of would, would you call it like, like desire? Maybe so. Maybe desire is good. Ooh, which which may, maybe they unlock the puberty button at the end of this movie. Maybe that's an added emotion. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, but you know what I mean? But it's yeah. like candy. Like a good kids, one. kids want candy. They want this toy. They want this. You know. It's like, I want this sort of thing, and then uh -huh. it makes me feel good, and then I want more of it, you know, this sort of thing of it. So anyway, it's not really an emotion, but it is, an emo but it is like an emotional pull. So It's a, it's a driver, to be sure. It's the driver of, you know, right. most, of, most of our decision-making. Um, you know, cut, cut back to our uh, Facebook uh, social network, <laughs> Social Dilemma episode. <laughs> well... Yeah, and I think that's what was unlocked to me watching it this time is like, oh, they did a good job explaining what each one of these emotions are and what they drive. And so they're like, anger, what it drives is your sense of justice. You know, there's a sense of right and wrong. And when yeah. that gets violated, we get angry. Fear keeps us safe. Like, that's kind of what its purpose is. And what was really interesting to me that I never caught before is disgust keeps us from being poisoned both physically and socially. And I yes. thought that's a really interesting way to explain what disgust is. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, which is so interesting because, like, first of all, that's not necessarily true because the whole thing with disgust, disgust's whole thing is hating broccoli, right? Which ultimately, broccoli is one of the best foods in the world for you. So you should actually, like, <laughs> you should want to eat that. But it smells terrible and it's, you know... Um, a fun fact about broccoli. I was just uh, away from my apartment for about six weeks. I was out on tour and forgot to be my power bill. My power went out for about three weeks and there was frozen broccoli in my fridge. And can I tell you what happens to your apartment when frozen broccoli thaws and then just kind of cooks in your fridge or in your freezer, which turns into a hot box for about two and a half weeks? 
Oh my gosh. Cue, I hope you burn that fridge. Cue disgust. It's terrible. <laughs> so all of those seeds with with broccoli when I was rewatching Inside Out today, I was like, yeah, no, that's that's the real deal. Uh, broccoli is horrible. <laughs> Never put that on pizza. It's wrong. But, you know, I, I, again, catching it this time, like there's this moment when she goes into class and Joy's like, oh, those girls look cool. Let's go talk to them. And disgust is like, no. You can't go yeah. talk to him. That's embarrassing. And so I was like, oh, Disgust does have more than just I keep you safe from broccoli. There is like a more complexity there, which jumped out to me. Yeah. And it's interesting that like Disgust is kind of dressed like a mean girl, right? She both yeah. is both protecting um, uh, Riley from the mean girls, but also kind of being one herself, right? Disgust is playing both sides of that social line a little bit which is interesting. Disgust can protect you, but it can also turn you off to things that you should be turned on to or that you should right. have more compassion for, maybe. Ooh, compassion. Ooh, there's one to toss in there. Uh, I want to get to that. I want to get to that because I have some <laughs> thoughts on that in a moment. The other okay. one that I wrote down was conscience. Um, okay. I, I didn't know if that's that a good feels like a whole like a whole different like like even zone of of the brain you know as they're doing this conscience that's a really good one what would you do with that as far as like, i don't the story know goes? i don't know i was just wondering like different decisions she made and that sort of thing of like mm. because again what jumped out to me is the purpose of emotions is they drive our decisions right like in mm. this in this story of this world this emotion makes us do this this emotion makes us do this and conscience is definitely one that's like Oh, I should or I shouldn't do this. They kind of hint to it when they have Truth Island. And so like she goes and she mm. actually like steals money from her parents. And that's what makes Truth Island die. But I'm yeah. like, mm, I think it's a little bit more than just an island of your personality. I think it is like a core sort of thing of like what drives decisions of like what is right and what's wrong and the emotions behind that. Yeah. Which which is interesting because like right and wrong, they attach to um, like you said, like anger, right? When justice gets violated, um, then then the, the anger, the anger button goes off. Um, but yeah, tr Truth Island to me, I was thinking that on our way th sort of through that some of the islands of personality, maybe the first three goofball hockey and friendship to some degree are like core personalities but then like family and truth island like to me th those were more like plot points of like Agreed. things that needed to dissolve as she had a mental breakdown versus being core parts of her personality and truth to me was the kind of the biggest cheat um but the moment where that breaks down because she decides to steal her mom's money and the implication being that she had been a very truthful open book you know kid um that wouldn't have done th this kind of thing in the past so th the idea that um you know there was sort of a core breakdown in in her when she decides to make this decision i thought that was that you know and, and they have to sort of play by their own rules and you can't make it more complicated than it already is because let's be real it's already insanely complicated <laughs> so i get why they did what they did but that one i agree does feel a little bit like a cheat well, I want to get to the categories now, so let's just get straight into the categories of like what you're thinking. And so I want to jump into it first with um, most meaningful character. Andrew, who is your most meaningful <sighs> character in Inside Out? There's not a lot of characters in this movie. I think we could name every character in this movie on about two hands. Right. That's true. <laughs> so you've got your five emotions plus Bing Bong plus Riley plus mom and dad. 
That's nine characters in the entire movie. Yeah. There's some extras or background players like Riley's best friend from Minnesota or whatever. They just like show up in memories. But really, I mean, this is a, this is a character built around nine people. This could be a stage play. It has so few characters. I think the obvious most two important characters are joy and sadness. That's what this movie is ultimately about. The other three emotions in the end don't really matter. Um, I guess I got to pick one of them. Um, me being the resident, uh, depressed person on the podcast, I'm going to go with sadness, uh, <laughs> because, um, uh, yeah, I, I, the, the denouement of this movie, the realization that joy has, um, is, is just one of the most amazing, like cathartic moments in a watching a movie. I didn't see this in the theaters. I saw it in my living room in my first apartment. Uh, that I had with my wife. And I remember the two of us sitting there on the couch and hitting that moment in the movie and just like being undone with how meaningful and important it was. The idea that sadness is good. And maybe it's Joy's recognition that sadness is good. So maybe Joy is the most important character. Uh, but man, it's that relationship to me that clearly is just what this movie is all, all about. That's not a big, deep, hot take answer, but there's no other way around it. It has to be that. Yeah, I think I can't argue. Like sadness is the most meaningful character for sure. Um, so I want to just use this moment to talk about Bing Bong, who, uh, <laughs> who is clearly the runner. I've I've got a heart of stone. And so I've cried five times probably in a movie before, like act like tears streaming down my face crying. And when Bing Bong passes away, when that rainbow thing shoots up and Bing Bong passes away, dude, it Bro. wrecks me. It's insane how much it destroyed. Like, I was really thinking about it last night watching it. I was like, why is that scene so crushing? Why is it so powerful and emotional? Like, what what to you makes that scene powerful, Andrew? Okay, I, I, I mean, th that answer to me is so easy. It's, uh, it, it is, <sighs> yeah, okay. I, I just have to, I've, I'm trying to, like, sit and just, like, bask in the emotion of this answer because it's so, like, important to me to this movie and what makes this movie so great. And it's, it's the whole of forgetfulness. The whole of forgetfulness is one of the most sinister, like, horrifying things in a movie when it comes to, like, emotions. That giant cavern of if you fall in this, you will forget. And the idea that memories, things that make up who you are, can slip and fall into this thing. And they play it as, like, a joke at first where they're like deleting phone numbers and they're like deleting all the names of like, you know, my little ponies or whatever, like whatever the, the, the like little workers, the John, John Ratzenberger's little worker who's like sucking all those up with it with a vacuum. But this idea that there are things in your life that eventually your brain chooses to forget things that are formative, things that are important to you, right? Things that made you who you are. Um, I mean, even the idea of those uh, personalities crumbling into, right, the idea of goofball island crumbling into the abyss, right, that you once were a joyful, goofy child, and you're not that anymore, right? Yeah. Um, so Bing Bong being the personification of a thing of, and you see all these memories of things that were so joyful and so formative and so wonderful to Riley as a kid. And you think about, like, experiences that you have or ones you wish you had or ones you might have forgotten, right? And then you think about like things that made me as a person that I no longer have access to, to me that is so 
sad. <laughs> like it's one of the saddest things I think I've experienced watching a movie. And I don't think that's an, ex an exaggeration. So to, to humanize yeah. the idea of something in your life that is meaningful and like disappearing it, it like to to watch him not only disappear but choose to disappear so that like riley can get better you know so, so that she can grow up basically he doesn't have a place in her adult life and he like one of the the thing is in the, the kids version of, of the movie is he has to get off the wagon in order so that he's not heavy and weighing the wagon down right and so it needs to be lighter so that physics can work and joy can make it up the cliff. But to me, the like adult version of that is that like the reality is Bing Bong's not necessarily holding her back. But right now, Riley needs to grow. And that means that a lot of collateral damage is going to happen. And Bing Bong yeah. like realizes that he's part of that. Right. Yeah. That that she needs new islands. She needs new experiences. And he's no longer needed for her. And like, that's just so sad, man. <laughs> like, yeah, bro. There were so many times in your answer that I want to jump in and say something. Yeah, so, but I was like, sorry. I'm just going to let Andrew cook. Because yeah, sorry, I, was, I was I was cooking there for a second. But like, it's so like it's it's so meaningful, man. No, I, I think that's a really great take on it of like it falling down and forgetful island. Um, To me, man. So you have kids or I have kids. Uh -huh. And one thing when you have kids, people tell you is they grow up so fast. And what I thought that meant is the time from zero to 18 flies by like that time flies by. And yeah. now as a parent, I realize that's not what they mean. What they mean is like one day they believe in imaginary friends and then the next day they don't. And all of a sudden that happens and it's just like, oh, this just went away. And I think that's what made it so sad for me was because Bing Bong personified childhood. And it was mm -hmm. like, he's that last bit of that childhood innocence. Riley is sweet. She plays with an imaginary character. Her Like, it wasn't just a loss of something that was formative to her. It was actually a loss of her imagination. My kids have a time in their life when they can play with toys and they can take a Barbie doll and it turns into a different world. And yes. then there's a moment where it's like, that's just clutter on the floor. I need to throw it in the closet where a Barbie is no longer magical. And when that is lost, it is so sad. And that's what I thought watching Bing Bong die. I was like, oh, that's childhood imagination that evaporates. And it's freaking soul crushing, bro. Oh, yep. I don't have kids, but I'm like, I know your kids. And I'm just like imagining what that was like with some of your older kids, you watching that. And I, I would uh, imagine your like youngest daughter probably still has that imagination thing cooking pretty good but you know you've you've got what an eight, 18 year old and a 15 year old too yeah yeah like i have high school kids and like my youngest daughter's playing toys this morning and i was just like you let's play toys let's play forever like let's go let's go to you know walmart and just buy all the toys like what do you want oh, you know just because it's like so precious so okay i want to keep the conversation moving because do you have a most meaningful scene yes so Clearly, like we just said, the most meaningful scene, I think, is there in the forgetful pit. One, the bing bong situation, but then also the moment right before where Joy, like, <laughs> swipes left on the on the core memory. Yep. Um, and realizing that this moment of joy was actually brought on by a moment of sadness and that it's it's both. That is the meaning of the movie. So I don't want to drill down that too far right now because I think we're going to spend the rest of the podcast talking about that. There's a moment in the beginning of the movie that I clocked this time knowing what the end of the movie was <laughs> 
And that was when the mom comes into her bedroom um, after um, Riley has basically spent the whole day trying to figure out how to stay happy or to maintain joy through a variety of situations that should obviously cue other emotions, <laughs> right? There is a rat in my bedroom. There is, you know, like this place sucks. This place is new, right? All of these yeah. things that should cue other um, emotions. And she's found a way, you know, joy has taken over the control panel at every point, And she's found a good reasonable way for joy to take over the control panel. Um, and her mom comes in that night and like, thanks her for that. This idea of like, hey, this is a really hard time for your dad right now. And I'm so grateful that you're like able to stay happy and that you're finding the good in all of this and how how much the mom truly was grateful and was truly trying to encourage her daughter. And what like that moment to me is the inciting incident of the film, which is like. Giant parental trauma to Riley. <laughs> Because yep. her mom is no longer giving her permission to feel what she needs to feel, <laughs> yep. um, which is like and the mom is not. I mean, this isn't like classic Disney v villain, you know, manipulative, right. evil step parent behavior. Right. This is like the mom is honestly like loving her daughter and saying thank you. But it's it, it's the worst possible thing she could say in that moment. Yeah, it's funny. I had that one written down, too, as like because I think. It's a sophisticated scene, right? Because the mom right. is, it's, it's not a cheap Disney, like, you're locked in your basement forever. I'm giving you trauma. It was like, no, the mom's actually saying something really sweet. Like, hey, I know this is hard for you, too, and you're doing great. Yeah. Um, but then the and your dad and I are, like, so thankful that you, that you, like, I think she says that we can, like, keep a happy face on or something. Like, she, like. That's oof. the extra hot sauce that she adds that adds the trauma, <laughs> which is just, like, your dad needs you to act like this right now. And so it's like, okay, if you love your dad, you got to keep the happy face no matter what's going on. And that's what messes her up. And, and I think that's the real stuff as parents that we do or that our own parents did to us that mess us up. Um, it's right. not, it's, sometimes it's big and traumatic, but sometimes it's a little thing, a little comment that gets buried in our brain and like distorts our own sense of self. And the thing to me that makes it even so much more powerful is that that thought was not new to Riley. Joy had been doing that to her all day, right? So if we assume that Joy is, in fact, Riley and not a different person, right, <laughs> that, um, that Riley's operating procedure already had been the most important thing I need to do is to be happy. That's what's best for me. That's what's best for us. I need to be happy. As long as I'm happy, I'll be okay. And then her mom reinforces that and encourages that what we ultimately learn is a lie um and so it's 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 not like a new thought that her mom puts into her head all she does is just affirm the bad thing that and it, but it doesn't the thing is it doesn't feel bad the idea of wanting to be happy that's like you know follow your dreams life is magical that's like the disney sauce right like the I, right. the I, the idea of this movie that we get to at the end which is that sadness is good is like such a insane Disney lesson that is just amazing. Well, and so I want to jump into that a little bit more. You talked about compassion earlier as a possible mm -hmm. emotion. And I think sadness is compassion. And the mm. reason my most meaningful scene is another bing bong scene. And he's really sad about <laughs> losing his wagon. I think he like loses his wagon. Yes. And he's really upset about it. Uh -huh. And so Joy's like, well, you lost a wagon. We got a train. We got to keep moving. Let's go, 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 go. And sadness yeah. just comes 
and sits next to Bing Bong. And she says, you know, I bet your wagon was really special. And he's like, it, it was special. And then they have this whole like incredible exchange yeah, uh, between sadness and Bing Bong. And I think sometimes we're like, nope, you got to pull off yourself up by the bootstraps. You got to go. Life moves on. Let's go, go, go. And this movie offers a lesson, which is like sadness leads to empathy. And that was something that really struck me watching this movie, which maybe is really obvious to emotionally sophisticated people, but wasn't to me, which is like the foundation. Like I preach about empathy all the time. We talked about vengeance and like the brokenness of America and what's going on and that sort of stuff. And we have to be empathetic. But I think maybe where that empathy starts is sadness of like, I know what that feels like, too. And that hurts. And that's where we can enter into someone else's sadness and build a bridge with them. And the way that sadness did that with Bing Bong, I thought was powerful. Yep. Like this is this is the moment where I I hate that this is a podcast because I want to just respond to that just like visually and just nod and smile at you because that was so good and powerful and doesn't need me to say anything. But because people are listening to this, I have to talk now. Um, no, that that's that, that probably is is top three most meaningful scenes is is that moment. It's it's, it's that moment where I, I think we've been on this in, in the movie. We've been on this kind of weird hijinksy um, escape from Alcatraz kind of plot um, for enough of the last like half an hour of the movie when that wagon scene happens um, that I, I, I remember the first time going through this thinking like, OK, what's happening? What are we doing? And then like everything starts to kind of come into relief in that moment where we realize like, oh, this is we're we're heading somewhere important. This is the thing Joy has to learn. It's something like sadness doesn't need to be fixed because you really feel like sadness needs to be fixed, right? Like she won't stand up. Joy is dragging her. Like you really feel yep. like sadness has to get it together. <laughs> and it's in that moment where you realize, no, this is it's like we're headed in a different direction. And like, I don't know, for me, I like settled in, was just able to empathize. Uh, compassion and empathy and sadness. Thinking about compassion and empathy through the lens of sadness just unlocked something in my brain. That's really, really thoughtful. I just want to sit and think about this and not keep podcasting. But we got another 20 minutes, so we got to keep podcasting. <laughs> well, let's let's go on to uh, least meaningful scene. Like, do you okay. have one? Like, <laughs> not, so, we're gushing on this movie, loving on it, but is there a least meaningful part of it? So to me, as an adult, I do think some of the quote unquote hijinks in the middle to me is like, meh. Um, like, I think it is kind of fun how they're personifying all of the like little like brain pathways. So like, oh, the train of thought is like how things get around. And um, uh, but so the like um, going through the like abstract thinking portal yep. was was like it was like a fun little hijinksy thing that like it creates danger for your characters i think all those moments in order for the plot to work you have to have all these fun little lands like uh the dream studio and um uh imagination land and like all all those little little places i think you have to have all of those for um uh the plot uh to work and i do remember on my first viewing really liking all of those and like personifying what could be going on in my head i thought that was really fun on the second watch, knowing where we were going and knowing that the place we're landing this plane is this beautiful catharsis of why we need sadness in our life. I did feel there was a, like that moment in the middle where they're just kind of on the 
running adventure through all the different lands, I felt a little bored, a little bored by it on a second watch because I just wanted to get to the good stuff. Um, the first watch, I didn't know what the good stuff was going to be, so I probably was more invested. My, my least meaningful scene is not a scene, but it's along that same line of thinking. And this is half-baked, and I may need you to unpack this with me. <laughs> okay. But when I was watching the movie yesterday, I thought, I don't know if this is a good movie. Um, I was like, I don't know if it's a good movie, but I think it's great art. Like, I think this art is really sophisticated. There's art, philosophy. It's almost like Paradise Lost, like a John Milton uh, sort of big idea where there's sin and gluttony and that sort of stuff. It's kind of like an exploration of like philosophy and psychology. And that's what it is. But it's not like a classic, like the way up is of like a hero's journey of like, I lost this thing and yeah. I'm going back for it. I was like, I don't even know who the protagonist really is in this movie. Like, I guess it's joy, but it's kind of joy, kind of Riley. It's just like this kind of like scattershot of thoughts and ideas. And there's also just, again, so much exposition of like, oh, this is this land and this means this and it's for this. Almost like, a, uh, you know, like Schoolhouse Rock explaining what the Constitution is. It's kind of like <laughs> that's what this movie is doing with like, oh, this is abstract thought. We need abstract thought because of this, this and this. There's yeah. so many ideas just like wedged into this movie that I'm like, I don't know if it's like a classical movie, but I think there's nothing like it before or since. So I think it's great, great art. So that's my half baked take. On yeah. This. So. As far as like the hero's journey, protagonist, all that kind of stuff goes, I think Joy is the protagonist. I think it gets a little cloudy because Joy technically is Riley, right? And I think that's how it gets fun and sophisticated. But if you break it down, like Riley is both both the setting as well as like the damsel that needs to be saved. Right. Um, and Joy is the protagonist as she discovers how to do that and she has to basically go from being prideful her flaw is pride and she has to accept humility to realize that she isn't the only good emotion so i think there is a classic hero's journey in this but um it's coming at it from sort of this grown-up adult view it's so hard to disengage these feelings of, of joy and you know these moments of of guilt and depression and like all of these things that we recognize Riley is feeling um, it's sort of hard to pull joy off of like away from Riley. It makes it sort of a little bit uh, different. So I, I, I think it's one of the reasons why it's so good is it does function as both. I think to a child, this would play a much more like a classic hero story. Yeah. Um, I think to an adult, because we've had so many of the experiences that Riley has experienced. Um, we, we are grieving our own lost childhood. Um, when we're sitting down there in the pit of forgetfulness <laughs> um, that um, suddenly everything becomes elevated and more complex. Um, yeah. yeah, I think like, again, like I said, it's half baked. I mean, I do think it's a great movie. It's just like the way it moves is kind of funny, but it's but ultimately I was so amazed at all the different ideas that it just inserts in yeah. the film of just like like the double mint gum joke that keeps coming up. <laughs> Is so phenomenal, dude. It's so it's phenomenal. So, because do you, like, do, do you have one of those? Like something oh yeah. from yeah. I, I was I was like, trying to remember that there's there's some like mattress ad from Colorado Springs, some like local mattress store with like a phone number. It's not in my head right now, but I'm sure it will be at some point today. <laughs> well, gum commercials in the 80s were like 
that big red freshness comes right through you or juicy fruit is gonna move. There were all these ads of just like songs that even today, like I can pull up my memory and I can sing the lyrics in the song. Like that's yeah. a crazy thing that our brain can do. An ad that I haven't seen in probably 30 years. Right. I could sing like double, double your, I, I don't know. It's just like all these songs that we just know. And I was like, that's crazy that they're talking about this part of the brain and what it's wired to think and remember and just pull up at the most random times that we right. don't want it. And so it plays as a good joke and a good exploration of the human mind and how it works. And so there's so many things like that in this movie that I'm just like, this is incredible the way it's talking about all this. Yeah. And I think so much of the fun of the middle of, of the movie, I don't think the idea of sort of joy discovering that sadness is necessary is an emotion that can hold or is is i guess a that idea that story idea can't necessarily hold the plot and so the plot has to be how do we escape memory right. island and right. so the plot of how do we escape memory island takes over a, like you know a decent point of act too um and then you get all these fun little adventures that don't actually aren't necessarily meaningful to the story how do we wake riley up with a nightmare isn't necessarily meaningful to the story but it's this fun idea of like your dreams being a movie studio like that's a fun that's a that's a fun five minutes well it's a fun idea and it made me think like that's true you never wake up from being so happy but you yeah. do wake up from being so scared. Why is that true? Like, that's such a fascinating idea. That's just wedged in the middle of this crazy movie. Right. It's it's completely true. Yeah. There's there's a lot of fun, fun ideas or like the subconscious being a jail. Right. Like now I'm sure that came from like, oh, we have to get them locked up even further. Right. So so there needs to be a jail down here. What could that be? Oh, it's called. You know, oh, what if the subconscious is, is a jail? Right. I, I like sometimes it felt like the plot was creating fun little moments to explore, which I think on a second watch makes it makes the middle feel a little bit weary. Um, yeah. Just a little because you know where it's going and where it's going is so much better. <laughs> right. But on but on a first watch, I think it's so delightful and surprising um, that it the, I think it's that like no complaints on a first watch. Yeah, the human brain is so crazy. And just to have this tour of it in a movie, I think that's what I watch every time. Like just thinking about memory of like, oh, we have all these memories that are stored away kind of in the back of our brain that randomly, if we need to, we can access them and like something will jumpstart it. Even a, yeah. Yeah, a conversation with a friend, like you and I could start telling stories and I'd have memories that I probably haven't thought about in years, but they're somewhere like deep back in my thought and the fact of like, that's how our brain works. And I can like pull up this thing and remember how I felt, remember what I thought. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. That's how our minds work. And it's even crazier that this movie can kind of unpack this complicated idea with little like yellow and green and red bubbles. <laughs> yeah yeah and and even just like in the background as riley is going through like her really hard day in like the middle of the movie you can see that the wall of like experiences for the day um based on like whatever the last 10 minutes the movie has has been are like color-coded you know fear anger or disgust because she can't feel sadness or joy because they left but um, like that just e even that is like a background detail in the in the headquarters throughout the second act of, of, of the movie, even when they aren't like actually like creating them and you're not seeing the balls actually pop up and, and, and roll down just a little wall of balls in, in the back seem to be color coded, you know, uh, with what, what she's experiencing, which is like, oh, right. yeah, that is what it feels like to go throughout the day. 
it's such a great little detail. I, th- I think back to my like, is this a good movie question? Part of the reason I brought yeah. that up is because I was thinking like, is this where does this rank in the Pixar movies for me? Like, where does it rank? And uh-huh. part of me thought like, ah, it's not I don't know if it's in my top five. And then part of me thought, I think it's their best movie. And so I was really <laughs> wrestling between those yeah. two extremes because of what we're talking about here. So I think Pixar has a holy trinity of movies that are incredibly emotional and ones that I don't want to just like sit down and watch for fun. And that is Up, Inside Out and Soul. And I think all three of those movies, like I finished Soul and questioned my entire existence. Yeah, I was like the things that I put stock in in my life and the things I care about and devote my energy to. Um, am I a fraud? Or am I living a lie? You know, like, like I literally had an existential crisis after finishing Soul. Um, I don't care to sit down and watch it this afternoon for grins. Um, and I think Inside Out and Up fall into that same kind of category where the the sort of the story, the emotional story of the movie is deeply meaningful and maybe the three best movies for us to talk about on this podcast when it comes to the meaning of the movie. But they're not like a, a banger in the sense of like a fun romp. Like I might actually enjoy sitting down and watching Monsters, Inc. more, you know, because it's like right. there's so much more like uh, the experience of the movie is and like, you know, the little like one liners and that kind of thing are like better. Um, so I think those three movies, which inside out to me is maybe the, the pinnacle of, um, kind of are functioning in this different category of, you know, movies that you love and recommend to everybody, but aren't going to sit down and watch on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you brought up soul. Cause soul is one of like actually a really kind of in the same sort of category, like incredible movie with all these ideas. I think pandemic just kind of killed it of like, and went straight yeah. to streaming and it wasn't seen. I do really wish, like I could see it getting a best picture nominated nomination if it was just had a theatrical release and was on that track and that sort of stuff because there is so much depth to that movie but it's not inside out in the sense of like oh this is a fun romp like it is like right i was like this is not a movie for kids like this is like and i was actually kind of bugged by it when when i first saw the trailer because i was like oh this is just inside out but with heaven question mark because the trailer just made it feel like it was going to be like basically personifying all these fun afterlife-y soul things, right? In the same way that Inside Out personifies all the things in your brain. I was like, they're just redoing Inside Out in a different way. And then they do all of that for a fun little first time in like act one. They And they like blow through it all really fast and have a, a bunch of fun little things. And then it becomes this whole other thing. When, you know, the I don't want to blow that movie because this is not a soul episode, but when the cat enters the picture, like it's just a completely different movie that you don't even right. expect. Right. Um. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Anything else you want to hit on Inside Out? I feel like it's one of those movies that like the categories don't even quite cover at all. So is there anything that no. we didn't say? Okay. I mean, the thing the thing that I kept saying sort of throughout about the most meaningful thing of this movie, the idea that sadness is good. <laughs> um, to me, I mean, I think we're at like, what is the meaning of this movie time in the podcast? And the meaning of the movie is that, right? Is that um, we've got to, sometimes you've got to stop telling yourself to be happy <laughs> um, because ultimately like the, the moment I've never seen a better depiction of depression than when she's on the bus and the headquarters control board freezes over. Oh, bro. Um, and um, it, it's, it, it's both, it was both enlightening to me as well as so like um, uh, um, validating. Um, but 
the idea of depression is not sadness controlling the board, <laughs> which is what I think we would say if we were to be like, hey, define depression in inside out terms. It would be like, oh, sadness controls everything. And it's like, no, that's not what it is. Depression is the inability to feel anything. None of the emotions can control the board. And she literally becomes so numb, like she can't feel anything. And it's because she's not allowing herself to basically empathize with herself. She's not allowing herself to feel the grief that she needs to feel. Um, and that not um, telling yourself that you can't experience grief and that grief is somehow bad or makes you less than um, ultimately leads to this kind of depression where you can't feel anything. Um, and that like, it, it's so fleeting. It's such a small little moment, but it is the turning point of the movie. And I think it's so like, like what a beautiful way to explain to children, like their emotions, but even like me as a grown adult watching it for the first time, I was like, I understand how I feel when I feel this way. That's what's happening. The board gets locked up. Um, yeah, it's great. I just like, it's, it's, it's such a great way to explain to yourself what you feel. I think <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad that you highlighted that to me. I think the theme to this movie to me and the meaning of it lies in depression as well. Um, I am not a professional therapist, uh, although I do play one as a podcaster. And so here would be <laughs> my like big therapy takeaway as watching this movie is like what really unlocked it for me this time was watching each one of those islands crumble and die and fall away. And I was like, I think that's what depression is, is when all the islands of like what make you mm. who you are crumble and fall away. And I think in a healthy way, there are certain islands or certain things that was like, this was a core of who I was that crumbles and goes. And it's like, okay, I'm not a goofball anymore. Like, because I'm not seven, like I have to be, you know, I have to grow up yeah. a little bit. And so some of those islands fall away, but I think we need to do one of two things. One is like nurture the islands that matter most. And so like, I love that moment when you see family Island, like come back in, like when she gives her dad a hug and it just means so much to her and the island comes back alive. I'm like, that is meaningful and that is powerful. And two, it's like we have to build new islands. Like we have to build yeah. new things that are like cores of our personality. And I think that's what growth and that's what moving forward is, is like building new memories, building new islands and having that be like healthy uh, parts of our personality. And again, the core, the essence of who we are. This is what this movie asks us to do is like. Look at the core of who you are and what is the essence of that. And don't let that die. Don't let the emotions of life become so strong to where they lock out or they crumble to the ground. So to me, that was the big meaning of the movie. Yeah, Oof, that's so great. I'm so glad that you brought up the moment where she hugs her dad and mom. Um, because I, I, I don't know if I caught this on the first time, but it definitely stuck out to me when I was just rewatching re it. And that is that. It's that moment where joy allowed sadness to take over the board, right? Or to act not just take over the board, but hug all of the core memories, right? <laughs> to imbue all of the past basically with grief because uh, that's what it is. She's able to grieve, which is so important and a thing we don't want to do and a thing we're embarrassed by doing. Um, but when she does that and then she breaks down and she is sad and her parents go to comfort her, right? There's this moment where sadness takes over everything because they're grieving. And then it's in that moment of hugging her dad that her dad empathizing with her grief, her dad being sad with her creates joy. 100 percent. 
right? Like it's in that moment where they're doing that, where like you you said like Family Island got recreated, but it it like whatever the little color code cue is or whatever happens in the movie, the movie is very specific about it. Joy gets reactivated yeah. in that moment of sadness. And I'm like, yeah, some of the most like not it's it's it sounds strange, but like happy moments I know I've experienced it, is when someone is sad with me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like like there is joy in that. There is um deep like community uh that happens. This is me trying to be a podcast therapist now, but like that that moment of showing not only that like sadness is needed, but that sadness leads back to joy. It was like just so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you see the little memory ball and it goes into blue and yellow and like that's the heart of the movie, which is like yeah. the joy and sat like the emotions become more complex then where it's like, hey, it's not just one. It's kind of two that like meld into something greater. Well, we're near the end of the episode, um, but before we leave, I actually wanted to do one bonus thing, which is Kay. like talk about the end credits, which is my other like most meaningful scene Two two scenes, one, the end credits. And two before that, where they're at the dinner table and you actually jump into mom's head and you jump into dad's head and yeah. you see what's going on in their head. And what's so interesting is there's a different core emotion that's mm -hmm. sitting at the steering wheel that is yeah. at the core thing. And I thought that's a really cool thing as well. Where in the mom, right. what was it for the mom? Was it sadness? Sadness. And yeah. mom is ultimately, I love that you that you compared compassion to sadness. I've always thought it was odd that mom's core emotion was sadness i was like oh is she a slightly depressed person that's not what i want for mom no she's empathetic yeah and and the fact that sadness is running the control board allows her to see what her daughter needs in that moment she blows it later um but um uh, yeah that that like sadness is running her board and then anger is running the dad's board which yeah. the dad's <laughs> board is hilarious <laughs> like sir we are giving the boot <laughs> you know we are putting the foot down they like start the like nuclear key protocol and i'll tell you as a dad like that's true there are certain moments where you're like i need to show who's boss i need to show the dominance and it never works well like it backfires so badly don't do it dads and like i love um, how proud like fear is he's like the foot is down and you like zoom back out to like the actual like dinner room table and you're like no man like <laughs> and then she's like we gave up the brazilian helicopter pilot for this like <laughs> so great uh, i also love just again the end credits where you jump into the boy's head and it's like girl girl and there's like all the skateboarders and that sort of stuff they don't know what's going on there and you're just jumping in the heads of everyone else and like it's so it's so fantastic yeah no that's a it's a, a a great way to close out the movie Better, uh, yeah, solid, solid credits. You have any predictions for Inside Out 2? What it's going to be about? What's going to happen? I, I don't. Just like every other Pixar movie I said, every time they announce a Pixar movie, I always go like, oh, no, this one's going to be bad. And for 15 years, uh, I was uh, I was wrong. And then the last mm, eight, it's been up and down. I was real nervous about uh, the Buzz Lightyear movie, and I was right. You, um, yeah, you're definitely right. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I mean, I think they have to... Um, introduce like new emotion like a couple new emotions i think the idea of like potentially puberty like i think it would be interesting if it probably wouldn't be as much of a kids movie but like if like riley was an adult or something that they, they don't just go to the next puberty step but that might be kind of fun so um, she's gonna they, be 13 have to in this movie she, like, okay so you so, so you, it's, you do it's when know she turns some of the plot yeah yeah okay so it's definitely gonna be like a puberty thing it's probably gonna be some kind of a love story 
uh, or like some kind of romance or having to deal with like, I don't know. It's the new emotions, right? How do you deal with being I mean, an adult? Bro, I think it's going to get into mental health and anxiety, depression, like all like I think it's going to kind of be a deep dive. And so I'm curious of like how they balance that out with like Pixar fun. And so we yeah. may cover that on the podcast. It's coming out next year. Yeah, that'll be cool. Is, is Pete Doctor directing? I don't know. I, the big headline for it is that Bill Polar and uh, or not Bill Polar, uh, Bill Hader and Mindy Kaling are not coming back for it. Whoa. Yeah. OK, that's a different conversation, but that's wild. But Amy, Amy Poehler, uh, Louis Amy Black is. And it's a it's a salary thing. Like they gave her a big I think they gave her five million and they like undercut the other two and they're like no we're like even bigger stars now we need equal salary with amy and they're like we don't have it you know and disney has been being beat up lately and so they're they're kind of on their own existential journey anyway so but that's what i know about it so all right craziness uh, well, on that emotional that, note, uh, yeah, I was gonna say that that makes me sad about Inside Out too because I want I want all all of those five characters that I just saw back. I know uh, th- that's a bummer, oh, man. Yeah, I know Hater's so good, Kaylee. I mean, all the voice work is so good in this movie. Lewis Black isn't doing anything, fortunately, so he'll be able to jump back in. I'm right, sure. <laughs> right, and you know, uh, I'm assuming I'm assuming Phyllis is. I mean, she hasn't done anything since Inside Out, so right. Right. Uh, the Office was done. But it, talking about perfect casting, by the way, perfect voice casting, top to bottom in this in 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 this movie, like you you couldn't pick better voice actors for any of those emotions, as far as I'm not. concerned. Like Lewis Black as anger, Amy Poehler as joy, and Phyllis as sadness is just like the absolute perfection. Of I, yeah, I mean, it was sorry, Phyllis. I don't know your last name. You're just Phyllis from The Office, and yeah, I know Phyllis that's also your first name as an actress. So I know I'm safe. I mean, it's funny. It's kind of at the apex of like Office, Parks and Rec, all that sort of stuff that this movie is made, and like voice casting is great. The movie is great. I'd recommend checking it out. Uh, everyone Gotta else, check it out. thank you for being on this episode. We will see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.